Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortallaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Second, Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Let's revisit today's poll questions, and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. There's a game for tonight, and it, it's possible the series could conclude. So, will the Nuggets finish off the Lakers tonight? Yes remains out in front here, 78% of the vote, no trailing at 22%. Bob had a conversation with Matt Brooks, Nuggets.com. If you missed any of that great conversation, you can always podcast over at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS1060 app. Yeah, a couple things. First up, Matt covered the with the he covered the Nets before he covered the Nuggets, so he is familiar with Kevin Durant. Covered him in Brooklyn. So one of a part of our conversation is we talked and went back to, went back a little bit and looked at the last series and yeah, you know, Aaron Gordon against Kevin Durant. Uh, I think that you could say that yeah, you know, Evan Gordon did quite a good job on Kevin Durant, but his opinion of Durant and his opinion of the Suns looking uh, moving forward, I think is uh, if you missed it earlier or something, uh, if you check out the podcast is specific, uh, specifically pay attention to that. As far as this game tonight goes, the first thing I'm curious is are the Lakers fans gone? Are they going to show up? I'm not sure they're going to show up. I wouldn't be surprised if there were a whole lot of empty seats uh, down zero three and, you know, it's a pain in the ass getting to the state, the uh, arena in Los Angeles, and probably even a bigger pain in the ass getting out of there. Uh, having been, you know, I've actually been to this arena, but I've been downtown Los Angeles before uh, a few years ago. But I'm curious if uh, the Lakers uh, fans have just, uh, I think they a lot of them have been checked out. That's my guess. Uh, we'll answer this question around 1130 today, tossing this on over to Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Who is most to blame for the Celtics 03 deficit? The players or head coach Joe Missoula? The players continue to lead the way at 75% of the vote. Head coach Joe Missoula at 25%. This is on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Yeah, uh, I think this is actually a question where you can make a good case for both sides, and I think it's pretty easy to make a good case for both sides. <laughs> so we, I guess I'll probably try to make a good case for both sides when we get to the answer a little later in the hour. Absolutely. 1130. Your calls today at 1115. If you'd like to join the program, 602-260-1060 is the number. That'll happen around 1115 today. A reminder, ASU Baseball, they are the number five seed taking on the eight seed U of A tomorrow. Pre-game 945 a.m. First pitch at 10 o'clock. Tim Healy has the call. KDOS AM 1060, KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. So that means no sports zone tomorrow. No 
no extra points. That'll be the case as well for Thursday. Uh, you know, we were up against it there in that last segment about the PGA Championship. And before I go on to Major League Baseball, I just wanted to go back for a second here. The PGA Championship won by Brooks Kepka. I wanted to set up a little bit better what I was saying about how really cool it was for Michael Block, the club professional. I want to make sure that it's clear why uh, a club professional being able to play in this tournament. Uh, It's contested by the PGA of America. The PGA of America is the group of men and women that are the club professionals at your golf course. They are the teaching pros. They are kind of the the foundation of of golf on a day-to-day basis. And with this major championship, they allow for a qualifying process for PGA pros, uh, PGA of America pros to play. And so Michael Block was one of 20 that qualified. Also a cool nugget. I don't think you were here the day that uh, I said this. Uh, a former Vandal alum, Russell Grove, he actually qualified as part of uh, the PGA wow. of America. Yeah, so he got to play and, right. and competed at Oak Hill. So it's a really cool thing for them to get the opportunity to compete at this level. Now, they're really good golfers, really good golfers. But for Michael Block to do what he did, first of all, to shoot even par uh, Thursday and Friday, and then to turn around and keep it going on Saturday and Sunday, I just want to emphasize how impressive this was because the course gets harder like it's already a major championship it's already really difficult Thursday and Friday you're grinding away the mental ability to keep it going on Saturday and Sunday the course changes and gets harder uh he's he talked about how he was playing with Justin Rose on Saturday he couldn't even look at him for the first three holes because he's like this is Justin Rose how cool is this uh, then he's playing with Rory McIlroy on Sunday. He's like, th- th- he just was really cool in the fact that he embraced the opportunity uh, for him to to go ahead and, and have this experience. And then, of course, absolutely jarring it on 15. I mean, the hole in one went in on the fly. Like, that's how cool that was. Wow. Um, but, yeah. yeah. Good for him. I want to also, quickly, I mentioned this after the you know, during our break, but – Kepka reminds me of James Worthy in basketball. <laughs> Used to be a big game James back in the day. All those great players for the uh, Lakers, and he was a really good player, but it seemed like the bigger the game, even some of the games they lost to the Celtics in the playoffs, but the bigger the game, the you know, the better James Worthy was, and you could like count on it. And there seems to be the same thing going on with Kepka here. A hundred percent right. I mean, I think that there, I don't even want to call them failures, but there were opportunities where he didn't close in a couple of majors and certainly the Augusta, John Rahm, uh, just uh, last month. Uh, but he learned from it and you could just see a totally different Brooks this week. And I was like, he's not letting this opportunity slip and pass him by. So I, I think that's a really accurate assessment there on just how Brooks and his mental game uh, matches the physical ability that he has. So anyway, we'll turn our attention in the major championship world to the U.S. Open next month, but we'll continue with the PGA Tour and we'll try to catch our breath with things in Wednesday's show and try to get some guys for next or for for this week as well. 
Uh, switching our attention to Major League Baseball, you had the Diamondbacks with a three-game series in Pittsburgh against the Pirates, a 13-3 loss to the Pirates on Friday in Zach Gallen's start, which was just really uncharacteristic for him. Three and two-thirds, eight hits, five runs, four walks, and two strikeouts. But they ended up getting victories on Saturday and Sunday in Brandon Fott uh, on Saturday and Merrill Kelly on Sunday starts. Yeah, let's go back to Gallon. I mean, he walked four guys. Uh, the Pirates entered that game. You know, the Pirates, after the series, have now lost 14 of their last 18 games. They entered the series in their previous 10 games, averaging, you know, just, you know, like three runs per game, and their team batting average was literally like 304 in a 10-game stretch. So what happened on uh, Friday night was pretty staggering. Uh, but if you walk, guys, it doesn't matter who you're going against, basically. You can't uh, put runners on base. And, you know, there was a you know, three-run triple triple in that particular game and so forth. But, yeah, so I don't think that's reason for you know, panic or anything as far as uh, a gallon goes. He's going to start on Wednesday, uh, the, the getaway game and the end of the road trip at Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is a team I just can't figure out. So I'm, we'll probably talk about that on Wednesday some, I'm guessing. But uh, I don't know what you're getting from – I don't know anybody that knows what you're going to get from the, the Phillies from day to day, let alone some of their stud starting pitchers. Uh, and, uh, you know, the lineup is just kind of what's happening here. Uh, you know, Schwarber is off to a bad start and so forth. But anyway, back to the gallon thing. That would be more uh, – They've got some big-time hitters on that team who haven't exactly been big-time hitters so far this season. And Bryce Harper's healthy now, and he clearly makes them a different team. But anyway, back to the Pirates series. I thought that that was uh, very impressive that they came back after the um, 13-3 to embarrassment uh, on Friday night to win the games on Saturday and Sunday, even if it's against a team that's slumping and really is completely – yeah, they got off to a great start, the Pirates, but you know, I thought thought that was a phony start to begin with, and I think that we're finding out that they're just not that good. Uh, and, and to your point here, the road trip continuing for the Diamondbacks in Philadelphia. Today, it's Tommy Henry, who's 1-1, one 5.00 one, ERA, 13 strikeouts. Zach Wheeler going for the Phillies. He's 3-3, three 4.06 three, ERA, and 61 strikeouts. Yeah, you mentioned thir- 13 strike. He's got like uh, Henry has one of the worst strikeout per nine inning ratios of any starter in baseball. I I wouldn't say it's the worst, but it's got to be pretty close to the worst. Uh, and the Phillies are a team that uh, historically, even in last year when they went to the World Series, they got guys that strike out a lot. Uh, he just gets no swing and miss, and I just can't imagine that if the Diamondbacks are going to be good this season long-term, that he's going to be a member of their starting rotation long-term. Then you also have, looking back on yesterday, the Braves uh, winning 3-2 over the Mariners. The Braves do start a series today hosting the Dodgers. It's going to be Charlie Morton for the Braves, who's 5-3, 2.85 ERA, 49 strikeouts. The Dodgers, Gavin Stone, 0-0, 9.0 ERA, 1 strikeout, but the Dodgers find themselves in a bit of a perilous situation losing uh, so many pitchers. Yeah, there are the next two days. You know, Stone's a rookie. Uh, he's actually been up for at least one start previously, which was a disaster. 
And then their top prospect, at least according to most, Bobby Miller, he's starting tomorrow. So they're going to Atlanta, and they're starting two rookies the next two days. Obviously, Urias went on the injured list. He gave up four home runs the other night. There was talk about him tipping his pitches. And then the next day, they put him on the injured list with a hamstring situation. So maybe he was doing both. He had a hamstring problem, and it was tipping his pitches. Uh, you know, Dustin May, uh, they think... At least they say, at least publicly, they're using the thing that he's going to miss maybe a month uh, after he left with a you know, forearm, forearm issue. And May's less than two years off of Tommy John surgery. So this is a big deal. Back to Atlanta from yesterday. I uh, think the biggest thing that happened yesterday is you know, they just got you know, Iglesias as their closer. He was out for literally the first five, six weeks of the season. He's come back here in the last couple of weeks and has been okay. But yesterday in that ninth inning, he was you know, tremendous. What he usually had been when he was with the uh, – they acquired him last year at the trade deadline to be the setup guy for Jansen. He was lights out the rest of the season. He's been lights out for some of his career, some of it, not all of it, but some of it. He looked tremendous yesterday for the Braves and – that will definitely help them. And now the Mets are you know, supposedly making a run here. They are numerically. Uh, I mean, they're only like five, six games behind. And, you know, they had an excellent week last week, the Mets. So maybe we're supposed to believe in them again. I need to see a little more to believe on the Mets in the Mets again. But uh, we'll see how this goes. Uh, then you also had the Orioles beating the Blue Jays 8-3. to So when you take a look at the ALE standings, you have the Rays on top. 34 to four, uh, 34 wins, 14 losses. Orioles 31 and 16. Yankees 29 and 20. The Red Sox 26 and 21. And the Blue Jays here at 25 and 22. Yeah, and uh, the the Orioles are now the second team to 30 wins. Uh, maybe I need to start believing here. Uh, I just have a tough time believing on in a team that has Kyle Gibson as its ace starting pitcher. He's more like a third, fourth, maybe even fifth guy on most good teams as far as a rotation. But uh, their bullpen is unbelievably good. They won the, they swept the series at Toronto. Uh, so maybe I'm coming around here a little bit. I can't not imagine, though, that they're not going to have to add some starting pitching at some point. Now, they have a tremendous organization of young players some of them at the major league level now. Some of them are not that far away from the major league level, maybe even this season at some point. Would they be willing to trade some of their young talent for starting pitching? I think it's going to be one of the most intriguing trade deadline storylines. And, you know, the deadline, we're like five, six weeks away, the end of, end of July, for the trade deadline. But I think that's one of the most intriguing things for me to be paying attention to. Uh, we also, you have mentioned numerous times about the Rays and their pitching situation, and they're going oh. up against the Blue Jays today. Another opener, another opener tonight against the. You know, it's a big series against the Blue Jays, and they're going with another opener because they just don't have enough starting pitching that's healthy. That's correct. Trevor Kelly, uh, he's getting the start going up against Chris Bassett, five and two, three point zero five ERA, forty eight strikeouts. Yeah, so yeah, Bassett's done a nice job for Toronto. His numbers are a little skewed because I believe there was one game where he gave up 10 runs. It was close to t- someone in that ballpark. It was an astronomical amount. 
and John Schneider, who I think is completely clueless as a manager. There's a few of those guys. He actually replaced a guy in Gibbons who was completely clueless, and I think that he's equally as clueless. Uh, including over the weekend, there were a couple of things that in that uh, when they got swept at home by the Orioles, and I watched almost every inning of that series. I have no idea what the Blue Jays were thinking, what he was thinking. They're poor fundamentally. Uh, I just think they're you know they should be much better than they are. Unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier, for the Blue Jays, this you know Dalton Varsho thing uh, when they you know, got him from the Diamondbacks, great trade for Mike Hazen and the Diamondbacks. A disaster so far for Toronto, uh, you know, losing Moreno and obviously, you know, Gurriel has been great here so far. So that has not worked out too well for Toronto at this point. The Padres picked up a 7-0 win over the Red Sox yesterday. We already touched a little bit on the Dodgers pitching situation here. So we'll look at the NL West. The Dodgers 29-19, the D-backs 27-20, the Giants 22-24, the Padres 21-26, and the Rockies 19-28. Well, the Padres are now the next-to-worst team in the National League in offense in runs scored. Only Miami is worst. Yeah, they did win yesterday, but they got beat on Friday and Saturday night by Boston and San Diego. This is a very loyal and fanatical fan base in San Diego. That group booed their team off the field Friday night against Boston. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I can understand why, right? Like, uh... Oh, yeah. But, I mean, this is a fan base that, you know, they, they don't boo. The hell, they live in San Diego. Why would you be mad? So... But they were livid as they should. And they just play bad baseball. They can't hit. Uh, it's amazing how bad they are offensively. And, you know, some of their starting pitching, including Musgrove, who came back late from the start of the season, he hasn't figured it out. Uh, they're, they're a mess. And I, I think we're at the point now where they just may be a bad team. 602-260-1060. That's the number if you'd like to join the program. We'll get to your calls now and talk to you on the other side of the break. In addition to that, uh, Jim Brown, he passed away on Friday at the age of 87. Uh, I know how much Jim Brown meant to you, Bob, so I certainly want to get into this as well. It's all happening here on The Extra Point. Bringing you the latest sports topics weekly right here on KDUS. AM 1060 with me, the Doug Gottlieb Show, 1 to 3 p.m. Eleven twenty-five here on KDUS AM ten sixty. It is the extra point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortellaro with you up until noon today. As promised, 602-260-1060. That's the number. We'll get to you in just a second here. Uh, as a reminder, no show on Tuesday, no show on Thursday, paving the way for uh ASU baseball on Tuesday. It's number five ASU versus number eight U of A. Pre-game at nine forty-five. And uh, first pitch at 10 o'clock, Tim Healy on the call. You can follow along, KDOS AM 1060, KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app. That also includes no sports zone as well on Tuesday and Thursday. We'll get into, uh, Bob, your perspective on Jim Brown, who passed away on Friday at the age of 87. But first, let's get to the calls. 602-260-1060. Matt in Phoenix, what's going on today, Matt? Hey, how are you guys? We're good. Well, after a, a really 
great weekend. That's depressing news that you guys won't be in on Tuesday and Thursday. Not not a fan. Yeah, well, uh, sorry about that, but uh, we'll have to just root for the Sun Devils and see how the Pac-12 tournament goes for them. Very true. Uh, I want to talk a little bit uh, baseball. Um, Bob, I actually thought the weekend series in Pittsburgh was encouraging, and I was pretty frightened after I saw that uh, Gallon got obliterated on Friday night. I kind of think they have to win the games that he pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, good win on, on Saturday against Keller, who, who pitched well, but they, they got to the the bullpen, as obviously they did on Sunday. Uh, I wanted your thoughts on the outcome of this weekend set against Pittsburgh. Good. Uh, definitely good. You know, I really think you know, he's had they've had this stretch against really bad teams for, you know, two weeks yep. plus running. And Absolutely. I didn't think they played very well. And I know they had a winning record. But I think they played very well in those Agreed. series, and you know, it's going to get a lot tougher starting Friday night when they face. It might even get tougher going back to my Philadelphia thing. I have no yeah. idea. What do you think of the Phillies from day to day? I have no <laughs> clue. But they can they can really they look like a team that was in the World Series last year some days, and yeah. they look like a team that is you know they don't even know how to spell the you know get yeah, to the World Series. Yeah, they look like series. the Joe no Girardi uh, Phillies some days too. Yeah. So. I, I got no idea what to think of them from day to day. Even, you know, Wheeler and Nola. I mean, yep. I'm not sure what we're getting out of them from start to start. So those I are the totally two agree. studs that le- led them to the World Series last year. So, But I didn't think the Diamondbacks really played all that well in this yep. you know, roughly two-week stretch, but they ended up with a winning record out of the deal. But I do think they're going to have to play much better, in, certainly in the next month or so. I looked at some of their you know, upcoming, uh, upcoming series. They get a little tougher. What are your thoughts on their path um, at the deadline? Uh, obviously, they have a, an outstanding farm system per most rankings. Um, they're seven games over 500 here, and there aren't a lot of good teams, as we've discussed multiple times. Do you think they might be aggressive in trying to acquire somebody to help them? I think they should get uh, – they have a surplus of outfielders at the major league level, at the minor – at the high minor league level. Andrew – you know, Andrew Jones' kid uh, yep. is supposed to be tremendous. He's going to be here in a year or two. So, if they want to add something, if I'm a team talking to the Diamondbacks, I want at least one of these stud outfielders in return. I'm not saying okay. Corbin, Corbin Carroll's not going anywhere. But yeah, pretty much anybody else can go. I mean, Alec Thomas can't hit. Unfortunately, I think his trade value would have been, you know, it definitely would have been much higher had yeah. he shown any clue of how he could hit a fastball. But that ain't happening, apparently. And I think there were, you know, the, the fact that Fletcher has been this good, too. And maybe that's a guy that they might want to move, even though you know, he's done a nice job for them. But if they want to add a starting pitcher, or a reliever, it's going to be – they're going to have to give up something here because I think there's two things that's going on in the market that's going to happen in the market. There's going to be a ton of relief pitchers move. That happens every year. But yep. it seems like this year the more – there are more good teams that really almost desperately need bullpen help than oh, before – and then there's so few starting pitchers of, that, that might be available. I know you talked about G, Giolito. Yeah. Edward, Eduardo Rodriguez has got to be the guy, though, right? I mean, yeah, the he's, way he's pitched for De- Yeah, the way he's pitched for Detroit, there's no reason for them to keep him. And they could get quite a haul in return. And, you know, it, it, it's going to – 
it, there's going to be a lot of competition to get a frontline starting pitcher and a you know, and bullpen help at the deadline much more than we've seen before. Do you think Shane Bieber's a guy that'll move to, especially considering that uh, I don't think Cleveland's any good. I don't either, but I mean, I, there's other years. You know, last year at this time, I didn't think they were any good, and then they won like seven straight, and I ended up betting on them to win the division and lucked out and won. Uh, so um, yeah, he still has a couple years left of his contract, right? I, yeah. I don't think he's, I'm pretty sure he's not a free agent after this upcoming season. So um, I, I, they don't tend to let their studs go. I mean, obviously they extended the uh, contract to Ramirez and. Right. Uh, yeah, they extended the. You know, I'm sure that they maybe maybe regret right now some of the decisions they made this last off season to extend some of their current contracts of middle infielders, but uh, I, I would be a little surprised. And plus, he isn't. He hasn't been very good. I mean, no, he's been I okay. He doesn't strike anybody out anymore. This That's is correct. this is That's a disgruntled yep. Shane Bieber fantasy owner. Uh, you need him to strike some dudes out. And, you know, they play such good defense that he gets by. And I think that's largely because they play such good defense. Well, considering their need for offense, and specifically they've needed outfielders for years now, that might be a team that would align with the Diamondbacks in terms of a pitching for offense type deal. So That's true. Um, I think the most interesting thing as far as a starting pitcher is Milwaukee going to trade Burns. Okay. And you know, the Dodgers yeah. needed. There's talk about him <laughs> yep. going to the Dodgers, like in yeah. spring training, and now yep. the Dodgers are completely running out of starting pitchers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Lastly, uh, Kayla, I thought it was a terrific weekend for the PGA Tour, um, considering the outstanding story of Michael Block and the fact that the uh, the guy from the Evil Empire, consider. <laughs> Uh, Brooks Kepka from Live uh, won another major championship. Um, I thought it was a, a great weekend for golf and uh, the course. People raved about it, and um, I'll hang up and listen to your thoughts on the PGA Championship. Sure thing, Matt. Uh, I think the, the course uh, held up great, um, and Brooks even alluded to it in his uh, post-game interview or post-round interview, post-tournament interview, uh, just talking about how well the course ended up playing on Sunday versus the amount of rain that they experienced on Saturday. I think when you're always looking for these types of major championship tests, you want fairness. So you want it to be tough. You want it to be challenging you want it to to test your game and, and you're looking for the most all-around golfer to excel but you want it to be fair you don't want it to be goofy golf if you will and I think that Oak Hill did a tremendous job with that and we really seem to be hitting kind of a stride with the PGA championships where they've been finding a sweet spot in how they're setting up golf courses year over year I think they've been doing a tremendous job with it uh, and and to your point Matt I think it was a great uh Sunday of golf and a great weekend of golf. So Oak Hill and uh, the Western New York fans certainly uh, uh, lived up to expectations for the PGA Championship. Before we go to break, I wanted to make sure that we definitely got into uh, a little bit about this with running back Jim Brown dying Friday at the age of 87. Of course, his career here, he was with the Browns from 1957 to 1965, NFL champion in 1964, a three-time 
two-time MVP, 1957, 1958, and 1965. Statistics, 12,312 rushing yards, 106 rushing touchdowns, 2,499 receiving yards, and 20 receiving touchdowns. So, Bob, what do you remember about Jim Brown on the field? What do you remember about his running style? Um, unlike anybody else, especially in those days. And that's when I was a kid in Ohio in the, the 60s. My dad went to college with Lou Groza, who played for the Browns. Uh, he was a tackle and then a kicker, obviously, the Lou Groza Award. They went to college together at The Ohio State University. And uh, we went, uh, you know, we were at three or four Browns games per year, no matter how cold it was, <laughs> right there on Lake Erie. In fact, I was there for the last time that the Browns won a championship in 1964 when they beat the Colts 27-0. And, uh, you know, Jim Brown didn't score a touchdown that game because Gary Collins scored all three touchdowns on passes from Frank Ryan. But as a runner, I mean, he was just, just – they had a highlight video on NFL Network this morning on Good Morning Football – and, you know, I've watched these highlights. I watched it live at the time for some of these highlight videos. But it's unbelievable what he was like at that time. I mean, he was an incredible combination of power and speed. And also remember, in those days, the entire world of football, whether it be college or pro football, was you had to control the line of scrimmage and run the ball. And he was the man. Yeah, they had an okay quarterback in Frank Ryan. They had a couple of pretty good offensive linemen, but not the you know, greatest offensive line of all time. And he accomplished all of that with the, you know, you know, like I said, it was an okay offensive line. Hickerson was a tremendous guard. But, you know, they, they what he did was incredible. And the fact that, uh, you know, I, can't, I don't know if anybody's ever going to break this record. I should never say that sentence either, probably. But, yeah, he's the only running back ever. Uh, to play X number of games and average over 100 yards rushing per game. And the fact that he was the target of every defense he faced in his entire career, and he went out on top as the MVP. He retired after he won the MVP in 1965. Uh, I've never seen anybody, I've never seen anything like it in professional sports. Uh, you know, we often do this, right? We try to figure out where a guy ranks uh, at his position. And sometimes it's hard to do that and maybe unfair to do it because you're comparing across eras, you're comparing across across different styles of play. But if you talk about a guy like Jim Brown, you know, how does he stack up for you in your mind against a, a Walter Payton or a Barry Sanders or even a Marshall Falk or, uh, you know, a Tony Dorsett? Well, I think he's better than all those guys just because I'm going to go back to the era where, you know, that, you know controlling the line of scrimmage was everything. And uh, the fact that he, he was the target and, you know, he was the man that you had to stop against the Browns forever, and few teams did stop him. I mean, it was unbelievable how good he was uh, considering all the elements and things, fact, factors involved in that era of football. Uh, the other thing, too, about Jim Brown, uh, certainly very, very integral in um, advocacy and uh, right. definitely did a lot off of the playing field throughout the rest of his life. A lot of civil rights things in the 60s and beyond for him. I had a chance to meet him again 
in uh, the 80s. He did a talk show in Las Vegas with Lee Pete, who was a talk show host, and I actually ended up being a guest on Lee Pete's show years later. Uh, but uh, yeah, he was, uh, you know, he, there was a lot of things that didn't go right in his life, and he did some bad things, as it turns out. But, you know, everything that he did on the positive side, I think, kind of uh, not uh, overruled some of the bad things. But you know, it, uh, his, he had an amazing life, that's for sure. Poll questions, they're next. It's the Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060. Hey, Phoenix, Doug Gottlieb here. I'm bringing the best sports talk weekdays to you. 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060. Eleven forty-two here on KDOS AM ten sixty online at KDOS ten sixty dot com and with the KDOS ten sixty app powered by Superbook Sports. It's that time. It's poll question time. So without further ado, the KDOS ten sixty dot com poll question: Will the Nuggets finish off the Lakers tonight? They're of course up three zero. Game tips off at five thirty tonight. Yeah, um, I'm confused. I mean, I really thought the Lakers would, you know, come out and, you know, you mentioned earlier when we were, when we went through this game earlier, you know, from game game three, I thought they'd come out and, you know, they, they didn't show a whole lot of fire at the start of the game. Uh, they got back into the situation, actually led the game by the time we got to the, you know, near the end of the third quarter and at the end of the third quarter. But I was just so disappointed how they just didn't come out and kind of take care of business right off the bat. So I'm not really sure what to think here. I was just watching uh, Colin Coward's show during the com- during the commercial break, and they were talking about prop bets for LeBron. They think, uh, and I agree with this, that yeah, he's not going to go quietly here. So you know, if you could get in a, you know, I don't know what the the point prop might be a little high because I'm guessing they're anticipating that people are going to bet that over. But if you could get maybe like a free throw attempt prop somewhere, that might be something to think about because I would assume he's going to be more beelined to the basket, LeBron, than let's settle for three points, uh, three-pointer LeBron. So that might be the best area to go. I don't think the Nuggets are going to finish this off tonight, but I'm, you know, reluctant to even publicly say that right now because I was so wrong on Saturday. LeBron point total on FanDuel right now is 24 and a half. That's actually that not that outrageous. outrageous. No. No. Agree. Totally agree. Yeah, so I thought I'd be higher than that. And if I were setting a line for that, it would be you know, 26, 27 probably. Uh, so at least that's where I would anticipate it would be. So that seems to be Okay. Uh, for me, <laughs> for me, yeah, I'm with you. That I thought that the Lakers, uh, you know, were going to come out a little bit differently to start Game Three. Jamal Murray just being able to get wherever he wanted on the court yeah. to get to his spots was a little concerning. Um, 
I, I think when I look at this here, obviously Jokic uh, and Jamal Murray are the stars for the Nuggets, and they have traded off fourth quarters when they've been the guy that needs to get it done. But I look at the role players, and I, I include like you know Catavius Caldwell Pope here, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., Bruce Brown off the bench, and just consistently throughout this series, those players have made the key shots when they've needed to make them. Uh, and so I kind of look to that, that if it was going to peter out, it would have happened in game three being on the road and it didn't. I understand the philosophy here that you're down 3-0, so uh, you're going to have extra energy. You're not going to want to get, get swept here. So there's a little bit of pride for the Lakers coming out and trying to force a game five to not to avoid that sweep. So it's hard for me to go all in on the Nuggets. I just think right now they're playing better basketball, though. But I can't go against pride and I can't go against being at home. So I would say uh, the, the, the Nuggets don't finish it off tonight. Just two other quick things to add. I mean, I wonder how many Lakers fans are actually going to be in the building, uh, whether they just bagged it at this point. Yeah, you know, partly because their team lost the other night, and B, it's a pain in the ass getting to downtown Los Angeles at any time of the day, let alone rush hour. So we'll see. I'm curious to see if there's some empty seats. Then you mentioned Porter. That's somebody I should have mentioned earlier. I mean, I've had like almost three hours to talk about this guy. He almost had a triple double on Saturday night, which is amazing because he doesn't pass the ball. <laughs> he had four, 14 points, 10 rebounds, and six assists. If you told me Porter was going to have a triple-double or come close to it, I would assume it would be points, rebounds, and turnovers. Uh, but you know, he was you – know, he made some – and it wasn't an accident. I mean, he made some really nice passes in that game on Saturday night with the end up with the six assists. He looked like uh, – he did look like Jokic, but maybe it's rubbing off a little bit there. On the other hand, uh, another thing to look for tonight is you know, just did, would they actually just bench D'Angelo Russell to start the season, start the game? He was one for eight, and he doesn't guard anybody. So if he's not making any shots, you got to get him off the floor. So I wonder if they even start the game with him on the floor. Now this from the masses has really been all over the place. We started off in a 50-50 split. Then we went to yes being tremendously out in front. Now there's been some Lakers love here at the end because now no is leading the way at 53% of the vote. Yes at 47%. Hmm. Okay. I, I also want, want to mention as well, Bob, that you had a conversation with Matt Brooks, Nuggets.com, in the 9 o'clock hour. And if you can, uh, if you missed it, podcast over at KDOS1060.com. Flipping this on over to Twitter, at KDOSAM1060, who is most to blame for the Celtics' 0-3 deficit, the players or head coach Joe Mazzula? Uh, this has just been a mind-boggling series here for the Celtics and maybe just the whole playoffs. It's been pretty mind-boggling when you consider the amount of talent that they have on this roster, I guess I'm going to go in the direction of, of Joe Missoula because to me, when you know he's talked about it, the players have talked about it, that they don't really have set plays, that they just kind of let Jason Tatum do his thing. They let Jalen Brown do his thing. And they're so talented that they can. They can get away with that in the regular season. But things ratchet up 
in the playoffs. And I think that you need to have a little bit more structure and to either not be calling timeouts in certain circumstances to kind of set something up uh, or just to have that philosophy in general. I, I go in the direction of, of Joe Missoula. It's too hard to just bank on raw talent all the time when pressure comes into play. You kind of have to practice uh, what you're going to be doing in pressure situations so that it doesn't feel like pressure. But when I think you're just kind of an unorganized chaos at times, that's what it feels like watching them uh, when it gets into some crunch time moments. I'm going to put that on the coach uh, for how he has constructed what he wants to see from the team. Yeah, and you can just go back. I mean, they have an, I don't have it handy here, but they have an awful, awful record in games, the, uh, cr- the clutch time and all that stuff in the playoffs too. So, you know, I think that's a, you know, an excellent case for Missoula. I think there is an excellent case for him. I think there's an excellent case for the players who you know, didn't show up to begin with. And as I mentioned in the introduction of the pipeline in the sports zone, uh, this was a case of I'm not sure. Uh, you can make it you know, once again a case for both sides here. I'm not sure if this is a case, a, a case of the players quitting on the coach, which I could a little bit understand because they got to be kind of scratching their heads and wondering what is our coach doing. Not necessarily in this series, but in other you know the whole playoffs, starting with the Atlanta series. Or you could make a case that you had the coach quit on the team, and that definitely happened yesterday with just a substitution pattern in the second half. So the, the, what, whatever the, the bottom line is, if you're a basketball fan, you should be done watching the Celtics. You're done. You don't want to watch them play anymore. Let's get this over with and move on to the finals for uh, Miami. The players out in front, according to the masses, at 77.8%. Head coach Joe Missoula at 22.2%. This is on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. We had mentioned that today was the start of voluntary OTAs for the Arizona Cardinals. We had already mentioned that DeAndre Hopkins uh, not present as he would join the I Am Athlete podcast saying he's in Toronto working on his body. Also not seen today, Buda Baker at voluntary workouts. Seen today, but obviously not doing much because he's still rehabbing the ACL, is Kyler Murray. Well, good for Kyler Murray. I mean, uh, yeah, so... Yeah, I think we're on the, the wa- trade watch for two players before training camp starts. Uh, Will Hopkins, I would say, probably not going to be at the car- in the Cardinals when training camp starts. I'm not so sure about Baker. I know there's been some speculation that Baker's just trying to get a better deal to, you know, from the Cardinals, but we'll see. But that's interesting that he's not there. We wrap up today's edition on the other side of the break. It's the Extra Point. KDUS AM 1060 is the home to the Dan Patrick Show, the Doug Gottlieb Show, and Sports Map Radio. Catch all the sports content here on AM 1060. You did not Wrapping up this Monday, May 22nd edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bob, it's that time once again. It is thank you time. All right. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever. 
and whatever else sip the cracks. Also, our guest today, singular, a Nuggets and Lakers game four preview with uh, Scott with uh, Matt Brooks. Uh, Scott Brooks was a former coach in the NBA. Matt Brooks uh, of Nuggets.com. Also, sound day courtesy of ESPN, TNT, Bally Sports, Arizona. The NFL for the Jim Brown uh, audio at the top of the sports zone today. Also, the Classic Sports Radio Network for more Jim Brown stuff at the top of the show. Uh, KBME, the Astros flagship station, and also LA uh, 570, LAD 570, that's the uh, Dodgers flagship station, with the uh, Julio Urias uh, home run derby, from uh, you know, which is not a good thing if you're a pitcher and it's home run derby. Uh, that was from Friday night. He won the uh, injured list the next day. Special thanks, as always, uh, to Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. And Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. That's right. And uh, I guess probably the next couple of days for us if you're just folks are just tuning in. That's correct. So up next here from noon to 1 o'clock, it is Sports Map Radio Network, followed by the Doug Gottlieb Show from 1 to 3, the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, the Sports Zoo with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6, Monday Night Golf with Ray Adams from 6 to 7, and James Out West from 7 to to eight tonight. A programming note for you. Uh, no sports zone, no extra point tomorrow as ASU baseball as the five seed is taking on the eight seed U of A. Pre-game 945, first pitch at 10 o'clock. Tim Healy on the call. KDOS AM 1060, KDOS1060.com and the KDOS 1060 app. Uh, because of the nature of the Pac-12 tournament, ASU is guaranteed two games. They'll play again on Thursday. Same time they'll be taking on Oregon State 945 uh, pregame first pitch at 10 a.m. That's on Thursday. So no sports zone and no extra points. So shows today, Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Uh, I do want to make mention of this here because this weekend it's the Indianapolis 500. So yesterday I was watching um, who qualified for the poll. I was watching for who got bumped out of the race and you had a big name in Graham Rahal being bumped out by his team Jack Harvey. So Graham Rahal didn't qualify. I believe he's uh, competed in 15 Indianapolis 500s. It's like the 30-year anniversary of his dad, Bobby Rahal, getting bumped out of this. I was going to say, it's his dad, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. And his dad owns yeah. the team. The teammate, Jack Harvey, bumping him out on the last second attempt Ooh. to qualify. Uh, it was quite an ordeal, but Graham handled the situation <laughs> with class, obviously incredibly disappointed. And Alex Pillow is the pole setter for Indy 500, averaging 234.217 miles per hour. I believe that becomes the fastest pole qualifying time. Uh, it's not the fastest lap ever done. That was by Ari Leyendike, but it was the fastest pole qualifying time. So uh, we'll have an Indy 500 preview at some point this week. Tonight, Nuggets and Lakers, 5.30 p.m., uh, and we will be back with you on Wednesday because ASU baseball tomorrow. Everyone have yourselves a fantastic rest of the day, and we'll talk to you on Wednesday.